From the shores of Summer Lake in Tigard, Oregon, it's the Portland Tim Beers Podcast, a show featuring two guys who love craft beer and Portland timber soccer. And now, here are your hosts, Jason and Gary. Tim Beers, I'm Jason. And I'm Gary. We're the uh, Portland Tim Beers. We talk about soccer, beer, and pretty much whatever else we want. How you doing, buddy? I'm yeah, doing pretty good. Pretty good. How about you? I'm living the dream. Standing here looking at about uh, five pumpkin five beers. Five pumpkin beers, yep. It's, it's almost Thanksgiving. Yeah, it is. Pumpkin pie, pumpkin, pumpkin beer. Pie. Yeah, pumpkin pie beers even. There you go. Yeah. Well, uh, you have two that uh, one you brewed, one a buddy of yours brewed. Yep. And uh, I'm staring at Wayfinder's Pumpkin Ale, uh, I believe a rogue pumpkin ale of some sorts. It's about a third of a can okay. sealed. And then uh, we've got the Beer Valley Jackalope Imperial Pumpkin Porter. Imperial. Imperial, of course. Oh, boy. we got to have one of those. That's got to have uh, at least one of those, right? Listener Andrew. Andrew uh, provided us this can and said, hey, you guys should try this. It'll be interesting. Yes. Yes, it will. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right. Well, um, crazy, crazy time. So we've had a little bit of time off with uh, work and life and all sorts of stuff here. It's been nuts. Um, so let's crack these bad boys. I think today's podcast episode, we're going to uh, kind of reel this thing back, rewind it a bit, and we're going to uh, take a look or listen to uh, our guy over at Hair of the Dog. Yes. Alan, uh, we hooked up with Alan here a few weeks ago, or I guess a month ago. <laughs> a month ago yeah. now. Yeah. And, Over uh, a month, actually. Treated us like kings, um, but this is part of the Legacy series where we wanted to really dig into um, some of the originators of the Oregon beer scene. Yeah. And so Alan is one of those guys that um, was one of the key people that helped found Oregon Brewing, and uh, you're going to get that out of the interview, so... As we're cracking beers, why don't we uh, take a listen to the first part of the interview? Sounds good. All right, it's Jason from the Tim Beers here, and um, we are here at Hair of the Dog. So we've been uh, talking about this as something that we've wanted to do, uh, Gary and I, for years. And uh, so we are here with the legend Alan at uh, Hair of the Dog and um, sitting in the brewery enjoying um, amazing beer. So I have a, a nice glass of adam sitting here and the boys have their own uh hair of the dog here as well as they're eating burgers but tim is here gary's here alan thanks for having us out man oh you bet welcome everybody absolutely so well so this is this is uh something that we talked about as far as doing a legacy series on the podcast and really capturing beer stories um from portland's early days of brewing and so we talked about the early days as the 90s and uh, and so we're going to spend some a little bit of time asking questions about and learning from you about the beer scene in the 90s and really the early days of Hair of the Dog. So I visited you probably a decade ago out towards the Brooklyn area. Um, for the listeners that don't know, it's kind of east of Powell in the Portland area. And there was this great industrial complex area. And we heard that Hair of the Dog is hosting a Oregon Brewers Festival party. And we're like, we got to go. Like, this has got to be it. So we show up, and it is a zoo. Like, there's a bunch of people, and it's the who's who of beer inside. And and so uh, we go in, and I spent a little bit of time talking to you, but I had a true appreciation for this tight, cramped space and the quality of beer that was coming out of this tight, cramped space. And so here we are, several years later, at this new facility that you've built over by OMSI, 
and um, and it's fantastic. And you're still producing high quality beers, but now I can find them at Zupans, New Seasons, other places. I don't need to like go searching around the place for them. But thanks again for having us out. Let's talk about how you got started. Early days. Were you a home brewer? I know you were a chef, bicycle repair guy, some other stuff that was there. But you came to Portland. How did you get involved in the beer scene? Uh, well, I was uh, cooking professionally, but got tired of the pressures that are associated with cooking. So I thought brewing would be an easier way to make a living. Uh, so in 91, I left uh, cooking industry and started brewing at Widmer. Uh, worked there for a couple years, and my last uh, eight months there were seven at night till three in the morning. And so I was back to those shitty hours uh, <laughs> for not much money. And that's when I decided if this is what I was going to be doing, that I really should be doing it for myself. So you're at Widmere. You walk, you walk into Widmere, not a lot of experience with brewing. You're a cook. And they're like, hey, we got a job for you. And so, well, well, they had a brewer's job open, and I brought in some of my homebrew. So okay. I fancied myself quite the brewer at the time, but it really had no uh, commercial brewing experience. Okay. Uh, but it's very easy as a home brewer to feel like you've got a grasp of beer styles and you know how to brew, and so it wouldn't be any different brewing on, you know. Uh, I think at the time they were brewing 30 barrels at a time. Wow. Uh, now I think it's 250 barrels right, at a right. time. Uh, but uh, we brew here four barrels at a time. And so um, uh, we're very, very small as far as breweries go. Uh, but I wasn't very happy making beers uh, that I didn't enjoy drinking. So I thought if this is what I had to do, I might as well be able to make beers that I enjoyed. So, and then you were doing cellaring for them too? Is that what I, I think I read online? You're I doing some of their cellar as process? I a cellarman. Okay. And so a cellarman is basically somebody who cleans fermenters. Oh, okay. And so uh, I started filling kegs the first uh, maybe six months I worked there. That's what I did from uh, morning till night was fill kegs, maybe 300 kegs a day. Uh, and then I graduated to cleaning fermenters, and I would clean uh, maybe keg in the morning and clean fermenters in the afternoon. And then I graduated to being the brewer. And so uh, there were three different brewing shifts and I got the uh, <laughs> less wanted one, which was 7 to night, 3 in the morning. Wow. Uh, the head brewer actually enjoyed coming in at 3 hmm. uh, and then getting off at uh, 12 or whatever. Well, it's not hot, and it's nice and cool and crisp, and those are brewer hours, right? So, so going back and forth between those hours uh, it was difficult, and, and also not really having a family life was difficult. Uh, not that I got much of that working for myself. Yeah. So, Widmere and, uh, well, I, let's back up to homebrewing. What are you homebrewing? Like, what is the batch that you remember from a homebrewing perspective? And what year did you start homebrewing? I didn't start that much earlier. It was late 80s, I think 88, I started homebrewing. Okay. Uh, I made lots of different styles of beer, uh, but had quite a difficult time keeping beer in stock. Uh, I drank it as fast as I made it. So I thought if I made stronger beers, they would last longer. And that's what kind of when uh, I realized that I never enjoyed that full feeling you get from drinking beer. Uh, as a teenager, my friends were trying to see how much beer they can drink. Right. And I never enjoyed that feeling of 
being bloated with beer, but drinking high alcohol beers was something that um, uh, was different, allowed me to get the same feeling of drinking beer, but not the same bloated feeling. So back in the 80s, as you're home brewing, right, late 80s, I mean, there's there's a decade there, but by the time home brewing became legal again, um, I mean, the ingredients were selective. Where, I mean, where did you source ingredients? I mean, there wasn't a lot of homebrew shops around. No, but here in Portland, F.H. Steinbart, Steinbart was open and, and, and still had a great selection of grains. It wasn't, maybe it was a, a third or a quarter of what it is now. Um, a lot of the grains that we have now are here because commercial brewers uh, asked people like Steinbart's to bring them in. Right. Uh, I worked really hard to get Steinbart's to bring in Belgian candy sugar. When I first started brewing, you could not buy Belgian candy sugar in this country. Hmm. And so I was using Chinese uh, yellow lump sugar, which huh. is a rock candy sugar, uh, but it was what was available. That's fascinating. And so yeast was limited. I remember my grandfather, um, early investor with the, the public offerings of Saxer Norwester, um, and he was so proud of that. But he was using bread yeast in a lot or paps blue ribbon type yeast that he was buying from fh steinbart's how has yeast changed over the years well why yeast you know great yeast lab yeah. here in oregon was opened at that time uh one of the founders of why yeast was also one of the founders of full sail brewing or hood river brewing as it was known right. originally and that was uh in the mid 80s and so why yeast has been available since i started home brewing oh uh, you had all those yeasts available Wow. And so you came from California, Hawaii, and then to Portland. Talk to me about that transition. How did you end up here? I moved to Hawaii when I was 18. Okay. Um, you know, it was a fun experience, but it was short-lived. I moved here when I was uh, 28, I think, um, and uh, went to culinary school. And so that's the reason I moved to Portland was to go to culinary school. And I had imagined that I would actually leave Portland after school and possibly work on ocean liners, traveling the world, or do something that uh, famous chefs do. Hmm. Um, but Portland was such a beautiful city and really had so much to offer that I never uh, thought twice about leaving after culinary school. Were you brewing in uh, home brewing in Hawaii at all? Or no. Any, uh, no, none no. of that. Okay, so it was after you got here to Portland. And so I was 18 when I moved to Hawaii. Yeah, but it's 1978. Yeah. I think that was the year the homebrew became As if 18. Legal. As if hey, it, not everyone's like you, Jason, that starts <laughs> brewing at 60. Yeah. Well, then you got to find ways to fund your friends, right? So or source your friends, but not that we condone that. But by all by all means, a lot of great brewers started brewing early. So, um, and so beer influence. So you settle in Portland. I love the fact that you talked about high alcohol beers and that bloated feeling. Um, and having something with that same type of filling, but also being able to enjoy the beer, not just drinking to drink, right? And um, so how did you settle on the style of beers that you did, like outside of that? You, I mean, everybody chases these things to kind of go into the modern world. So fresh hop IPAs, we're all going to fresh hop IPAs, and that's what we're doing right now. Or we've all got to have an IPA on tap or a lager and a pilsner and a stout and an amber you settled on something very specific. When I come into your place or I go to a grocery store and find your beer, it's a very specific type of beer that I know I'm going to get. Quality's good. It's usually got a lot of malt and a lot of character in it. Um, it's something I can appreciate. 
how did you determine this is the place I'm going to go to? Um, well, originally I thought I would start with the barley wine because those were the type of beers that I enjoyed drinking from somebody else. But I thought that if I had something unique and different, I would create a new place in the brewing world for myself. Uh, unfortunately, people aren't looking for uh, unique and different. They're looking for what they're familiar with. And so it was more of an uphill battle, I think, starting with an Adam beer than it would have been starting with a barley wine. Uh, but both beers were very foreign to most beer drinkers at the time. Uh, both beers are still very foreign, I think, to most beer drinkers now. People don't really realize that beer can be 10% alcohol. Mm -hmm. uh, it can be as complex as wine and share a lot of things that in common that people associate with wine, like going well with food. Uh, and so when I grew up, there were peril, fizzy beers. Yep. Yeah, and, totally uh, fizzy beer. Yeah, um, very light bodied. Any not beer a lot of flavor. that had a little bit of color was considered to be special. Um, but I really uh, enjoyed the flavor in beer, and also the idea that we might be rediscovering historic beer styles. Yeah, interesting. And so Adam being the first man, Adam being our first beer seemed a perfect alignment, uh, and also the fact that it was kind of an undiscovered. Or, or beer style that hadn't been made in quite a while. So I love these interviews because it offers like several bifurcations as we head down, right? <clears throat> we could easily head down barley wine and I could head down the path of Dave, right? Which we're going to end up there. But then we can talk about Adam and the namesake of Adam. So your beer names are very unique and they're, I'm guessing, come from the heart about something um, or the mind in the case of Adam. So Adam was purely, this is the first beer, Adam's the first guy. And that's what it was originally called in Dortmund, Germany. It was called Adam Beer. Oh, okay. And so Michael Jackson talked about it in right. his books. Fred Eckhart talked about it in his books. And so we originally called it Adam Beer. After about a year of production, we had some graphic changes in the label, and the federal government said you can't call it beer. It's too strong to be called a beer. So they kind of changed their mind, and we truncated it to Adam. Right. Interesting. Huh. Yeah. So what was the, back in that day, what was the um, reason, the percentage maybe, that they said this isn't a beer? Because now it doesn't have that regulation. There were some states that had alcohol limitations, right. and they would only allow beer in those states. And so... It didn't matter what it was called. It could be called an ale, a stout, a lager, but it uh, could not be called beer if it was over a certain percentage of alcohol. Hmm. Interesting. That's uh, so fascinating. So after Adam came what? Uh, Rose. Rose, okay. Yeah, Portland is known as the Rose City. Yeah. So we're very proud of being from Portland, and uh, we wanted to make something uh, from where we are. And so I remember Rose, because Rose, I believe, was in a bottle at one point. Oh, yeah. sure. Yeah, and so what What was Rose? What type of beer? Belgian triple. Belgian triple. At least my yeah. interpretation of a Belgian of triple. A Belgian right. triple. So I think, I think that's important to understand is, like, all of these beers are interpretations. But, again, like, very, very, very high-quality beers recognized throughout the world for what they are. And they, 
again, I, I throw compliments at you because, again, this is a place I've enjoyed from early on. And there's a reason I will drop a lot more money on a hair of the dog beer versus something else from another brewery, right? So Nice. But anyhow, um, so how is Adam today compared to Adam that you originally brewed? Has it has it changed? The recipe probably has not changed. The recipe's changed very slightly. There might be a, a, a grain that's not there anymore. Uh, but it's been the same for a very long, long time. Okay. So does it taste the same to you? Is it different? Is it subtly different? How does it deal with production? I mean, your production size has changed from those no, days? No, production really size hasn't? is still the same. We still brew four barrels at a time. Okay. You know, and that was a conscious decision. Uh, there was a time where we could have invested in a larger brew house, but, you know, that could have changed the flavor, potentially. And you can't just get one of the pieces in the brew house bigger. You have to get all the pieces, and then water handling has to be bigger. And so instead of getting a bigger brew house, we've just invested in labor. So we brew five times to fill up one of our fermenters, hmm. and potentially we could have a brew house that would fill up a fermenter in one one brew. Hmm. So it would take a lot less time, but we'd end up you know, spending money on equipment and paying money to the bank and... Um, it would also change the flavor. Who's got that late night brew shift? Uh, right now, my son Isaac has. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who gets the shift shift? My son does. Yeah. He, he used to be the head brewer, and he had a daytime shift. Okay. But then he left and traveled uh, the world for six months, and now he's back, and he kind of got bumped out of his position. Well, well done. Yeah, so I'm an 18-year-old, and I would love for him to learn those lessons eventually. So <laughs> those are those are good lessons for sons, I think. So. Let's head down the path of Dave. So at some point, you said, hey, or somebody said, hey, I got this idea. And so we we um, come up with this idea of ice distilling, right? <laughs> so what is this ice distilling thing? How did, it, how did this whole Dave thing happen? And then the $2,000 beer, right? So it's auctioned off for $2,000, and it lives in infamy. It was talked about on the Brew Dogs piece about the most expensive beer, and they wanted to break the record because oh, we're you are still selling it. it. Yeah, and you're still selling it? Oh, sure. Are you, for 2000 bucks? Well, it's actually less now. Oh, okay. I think now it's six twenty-five. dollars oh. <laughs> <laughs> So, but now everything I read is got some change. You only did it one time, right? Yeah, it was only made once. Only made once. So you still have that in the cellar. It's sitting there. And it was for Guide Dog for the Blind? No. Oh. Well, I mean, that's not what it was made for. Okay. Well, so let's go back into the history. What what was going on with Dave? Why did we do this? What was the Dave was made this? as... Let's go back to a year. Yeah. Uh, it was probably 94. Okay. And so, you know, we were a new brewery, and I was uh, experimenting with different beer styles, trying to show people that beer was something other than they've experienced. And so we're here in Birvana, where we have, I think at the time there was 10 other breweries in town, uh, lots of things going on uh, as far as beer goes, but nobody was really pushing the envelope with what is now known as extreme beers. And so we made this beer as a, a teaching aid. It was something to show be people that beer can be something they hadn't imagined. I would do a normal tasting in my brewery when people would come to visit with the beers, four or five of the beers that we were making. And then after we finished the tasting, I would taste them with Dave. And it was to show them that 
even though they were impressed and surprised by the five beers we'd already tasted, there was something that could impress them even more. Always better. And so that's what Dave originally was, was just a teaching aid, something to help us show people that beer can be something other than they'd expected. Uh, and it was given away for free for the first probably 10 years of its life. That's we never insane. sold it. So quick question on that, though, is when you look at distilling laws and the way they, they classify certain things, in today's terms, you can't do what you did back then. Yesterday's terms, you couldn't do it either. Oh, so you pulled it off, Yeah, though. so that's why we don't talk about it. Okay. Nobody's listening, right? <laughs> so the beauty of that is, is listeners, is, is we're actually capturing something from a history standpoint that, you know, hey, the laws were the laws, but we we still did something because we wanted to do it, At which the time, is amazing. Uh, there were a few breweries. Ice beers actually were quite popular. Uh, Red Dog uh, from Canada was ice beer uh, that was uh, brought into this country. And in Canada, it was actually frozen to be stronger than it was. Right. But the version that was made by Miller in this country was frozen and then that let thaw again. Okay. So they weren't increasing the alcohol content by freezing. Hmm. And so the ice beers became a very popular thing, but they were either watered down and frozen back to their original content or frozen and let thaw again so they were not increased by freezing but there was a freezing component to their production so those beers were more sizzle than steak i was trying to make something that was definitely meaty and uh yeah for the listeners so and what we're talking about is you freeze a batch of beer you pull off the liquid component after you freeze essentially removing water and then from there you did it three times, if I'm not mistaken. With Dave, yeah. yeah with Eve Dave. is just once. Yeah. And so with Dave, you did it three times. So each time you're freezing, pulling off liquid, pulling off liquid. And Dave ended up at 29%? Close. Close. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We ended up with about a third of what we started with. Okay. And then Eve was? Uh, just a single, just a single was Eve, freezing. Was Eve's av- evolution Adam? Because they yeah, all started was, with Adam, right? Started with Adam, yeah. Man. Well, and so the... Um, the ice beer itself, so Guide Dog for the Blinds or something like that was the funder for that. The first time we sold it was to people in line at our anniversary sale. Okay. Uh, we had you know hundreds of people in line. We passed out tickets and then picked, I think it was our 10th anniversary or something like that, a certain number of tickets. And those people could buy the beer. I think it was $80 a bottle at that time. Uh, and then the next time we sold it, uh, we did a, a kind of a, a charity fundraiser. It wasn't for guide dogs. It was for somebody else. Uh, and that's when the price went up, I think, to $2,000 a bottle. Uh, we sold it uh, different times over the years, sometimes for charity, sometimes not. Uh, and it's always very popular. And the legend was born. I mean, at that point, everybody talks about the the world record for beer sale like the high, most expensive beer is well i don't know i've heard beer. i've heard about some beers that were in very expensive bottles that sold for outrageous amounts of money uh and so i don't think dave is actually the most money that's paid for a beer not anymore but like at the time brew dogs did it because they put theirs in like a glass blown bottle or something but anyways anyway everybody gives you credit so yeah. and so I, I wanted to hear <laughs> the story nice. Nice yeah. to have credit for something. Yeah, well, you get a lot of credit, man. So um, I guess the other piece that um, 
we should dig into is let's talk a little bit about the 90s and 90s brewing, right? So there's a bunch of bunch of players in town that are no longer there, right? So There's a couple. Is there right. a bunch? I would I would say there's a bunch. Jack's just no longer around. No Northwestern no longer around. Portland Brewing's no longer really around in well, its true. Well, okay. Well, yeah. Are they really around? Well. Yeah. <laughs> Bridgeport's no longer around. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so we start digging through some of those. Are real, I mean, is Woodmere really around? Remember Star Star Brewing is not around either. Yeah. <laughs> so as we start walking through, you're one of those guys that's around, right? And so what is that? What what happened? Why are you still around and they're not? I know that's openly well, general. It's, it's, yeah. You know, I don't have a, a, an easy answer for that, but one of the big reasons is because I own the brewery. I'm the brewer. I own the brewery, and I don't have to hire a staff. I'm not beholden to shareholders. And so when you have those kind of financial pressures, uh, it, it's very, very difficult to stay in business as long as I have. I can work for free right. for years and years, and I have. Uh, most people are not doing that. No, no. And I think the bridge, the Bridgeport piece, they sold early to that Texas conglomerate, right? And they lost control. And you've retained control, and can kind of control what's going on with your product. So, can we jump back before we get critical of the the six that are no longer back in the nineties? What was the relationship between? those six that are no longer here and what the 90s beer scene looked like were you guys drinking beers together were you arch enemies fighting for no, no, rare no, no, customers no, no. etc no, what you said first is right we were very friendly uh i don't know if i can say more friendly than today but the beer world was smaller than it is today nowadays when i go to uh brewers guild functions there's a lot of people that i don't know who they are uh, in the 90s, I knew who everybody was, uh, but there was only 10 or 20. You know, it wasn't like hundreds that there are now. Uh, and so um, it definitely was a different world. You had all the founders back then. People who started the breweries were still working there, and that's changed. So would you consider yourself, or as you look at your friendships from the 90s, lifelong friends with i mean are you still talking to kurt and rob and i've talked to rob widmer in more recently than i've talked to dick or nancy i haven't talked to kurt in quite a while uh the widmers uh had a disagreement with me when i left the brewery and and actually sued me i don't know if you guys are aware i didn't of that. know that and so they did uh kind of apologize for all that ugliness and uh, uh we made up i don't know if kurt ever forgave me but uh, they were not happy that I started another brewery someplace they made or sold beer. And uh, at the time, I didn't think my high-alcohol high bottled beers were in any way competing with no. their uh, keg-only wheat beers. Right. But, you know, law is law. And so, fortunately, we had an attorney who was uh, good to us and bad to them. <laughs> and uh, we were able to withstand the barrage. I think that uh, even if you're right, if you can't afford to defend yourself, you might not be able to survive. Uh, and so we've been very fortunate uh, a few times over the years. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I'd not heard that story. That's, again, the, the point of this particular interview is that that history piece is – uh, the falling out and and territorial rights, right? I mean, they're they're defending their space, right? And yeah. you're like, hey, look, my thing is not your thing. Like, it's totally different at that point. All right, 
the end of section one. At this point, this interview is going great. <laughs> the going beer's amazing. great. The conversation's great. But then all of a sudden, Alan gets up and disappears, man. He just walked off. I thought it was the end of the interview. I was like, okay, what did we do wrong? <laughs> What what did we screw up? And uh, it came back with either it was either with pizza that he came back with, or it was more alcohol. From I, his, his I believe it was both. Stash. Yeah. So we got we got a special edition beer and a special pizza, and we got this fantastic pizza, yes. fantastic pizza, which we needed the dough and the cheese and the protein we because <laughs> there was a lot of beer being drunk at that point. It was flowing. Yeah. Well, um, let's let's do a little business here before we jump into part two of this thing. So, okay. um, we've got uh, beer news. So let's uh, pause out and listen to beer news. We interrupt our program to bring you a special broadcast. Beer news. This is uh, topics in beer that have hit the news cycle, or uh, things that we find interesting in beer news. So. Uh, only a few things, man. So, I mean, we haven't been on for a while, and you'd think there'd be a ton. You, you would think. Yeah. Uh, but I pulled uh, four, and count them, kids, four articles. So, Brewbound's got Brooklyn Beer Company is producing a non-alcoholic beer. Okay. And this is like the thing. Like, you go into it, Whole Foods and every place. It's huge now. Yeah, people are doing non-alcoholic yeah. beers. Yeah. A couple of years ago on the podcast, we were talking about, yeah, I mean, we did a whole non-alcoholic beer thing we after did. your heart attack, right? Yeah. So, so, anyways, um, it's interesting to watch these guys go because it's kind of the next thing. Seltzer's hit. Now everybody's doing non-alcoholic beer. Now everybody beer. wants non-alcoholic beer. So, Brooklyn Beer's doing uh, a release in January of 2022. Uh, they have... Uh, um, distribution in 30 states currently and they are producing this uh pack of non-alcoholic beers it's a mix pack of oh, their ipa hazy pills hazy ipa um all sorts of different beers there in this mix pack so okay pretty cool um it's out there but we need to follow this trend because non-alcoholic beers are the thing and i mean that's just the target group so well now apparently there is a, a special membrane if you're a brewer, that you can get uh, and run your beer through that will strip the alcohol out of it. Yeah, I got to wonder, because when we were drinking non-alcoholic beer, it was like the taste was not great yeah, and all of that. And we were talking, like, how do you make a good beer that has, like, good taste, good malt character, yeah. but um, has no alcohol? There's, and- there's a company out there that is, is making a special membrane now that uh, supposedly strips only the alcohol out, not the flavor, color, nothing else. That's insane. Yeah. Insane in the membrane. It's, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. Shiner. You familiar with Shiner Bach? Shiner Beers? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They... Today, did you know today is National Pickle Day? Eleven fourteen. Oh, it's your favorite day then. My favorite day. <laughs> pickles. So we should have done pumpkin beer, pickle beers. So, Shiner's doing a dill pickle hard seltzer. It's a release today. That didn't even sound good. <laughs> it's part of their straight shooter series, and uh, so be looking for the Oracle Pickle hard seltzer. But National Pickle Day, folks. You know, I like pickles, but that just doesn't even sound good. <laughs> All right. Uh, New story three, ecliptic opening the moon bar. The moon bar, like 
on the moon. On the moon. So it's like crater and moon themed. You go inside and it's like crater and moon themed. It's in the old footprint of Base Camp Brewing. So really, yeah. So Base Camp went out a couple of years, several years ago, and so John uh, acquired the space. And he's turned it into the Moon Bar. You're going to be drinking beer at the Moon. Now, like Base Camp, is that the one right at the base of uh, Mount Hood? There? No, Base Camp was over in Southeast, kind okay. of over by Hub and okay. some of that yep. stuff. Now I know what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, so um, you got to be twenty and o- twenty one and over. The to other drink one, beer on the Moon. Main main bar that they've done where the brewery is over there in Northeast Portland. Yeah, is still open to families. They're doing most of their production brewing there. Okay. Uh, this will be smaller brewing. This will allow them to really focus on beers for their uh, tap houses and their bars. Um, but it's going to, again, it's going to be 21 and over okay. in order to get a ticket to the moon. So Interesting. we got to go, man. That'll be we good. we got to see what it's like. we got to go to the moon. Heck yeah. All right. Final story of the night. Loyal Legion opened up Saturday. Okay. It's not the final, final story. Though. Uh-oh. So Loyal Legion opened Saturday in Beaverton and Holland Farmington. This is across from Ex Novo, kind of where Breakside's going to be opening their beer yeah, hall. Yeah. So it's in the old um, dance studio. What is the what is that dance thing? Uh, Arthur Murray Dance was on the corner there. Okay. Loyal Legion is known for a crap ton of taps. So they have ninety nine taps in this place. Holy smokes! As well as a full bar and the whole thing. So and they kind of pride themselves on their beer selection. Interesting. So raindrops got competition down the street. Yes, I mean, they do. You got a bunch of beer stuff just popping. But remember, the guy at Raindrop focuses on. Hard to get Oregon beers only, and and very small breweries yeah. as well. So that that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, what do you got, man? Well, the fifth thing uh, I saw it on, I believe it was uh, LinkedIn. Uh, Bell's Brewery, brewery, one of the bigger breweries uh, in the nation, just sold out. Oh, who did they sell out to? Uh, they sold out. Um, I don't have my phone on me right yeah. now, but. But they sold. Uh, uh, they sold, and the their head guy, the founder, is going to be retiring. Um, but I was shocked when I saw that. Uh, I just listened to a podcast about two weeks ago on on Bell's Brewery and uh, some of their innovations and what they were doing with beers and everything. And I was I was floored when I saw that. Wow. Well, there it is, kids. Beer in the news. All right, that was our beer in the news segment for this episode. Man. You know what that means it's time for? Probably Kickstarter my heart. No, just a second. <laughs> We're going to talk about your beer, dude. So, Oh, my beer. Okay. Beer One. Tell us about Beer One, Gary. Well, Beer One is a pumpkin ale that I brewed called Pixie's Pumpkin Patch Ale. Uh, it's actually done with real sugar pumpkins. We used five pounds of sugar pumpkins in it for a five-gallon batch. I uh, used fresh nutmeg fresh ginger and then cinnamon in it as well uh and then just let that all do its thing uh there's quite a bit of brown sugar in there as well um and yeah i thought it it in in my head i had an idea of what it was supposed to taste like uh and in my head i did not hit that taste however everybody that's tasted it said that you're probably better off not hitting the mark that you were hitting, um, which was the in-your-face kind of pumpkin-y spice kind of thing. Uh, it came out way more mellow than that, which is good. I mean, it, it drinks very smooth, very nicely. One of my first fruit beers I ever did was a uh, pumpkin beer. 
And it had so much cinnamon and clove in it that uh, it ruined me <laughs> on pumpkin pumpkin beers forever. Wow. Like, every time somebody has a pumpkin beer, I'm You're like, like oh, no thanks. crap. Here we go. It brings me right back to that crappy homebrew I did a while ago. Yeah. Yours is not that way. It's not in your face. It's very mild, and um, I like it. It's got the uh, kind of a gourdy, kind of a gourd-type taste to it. Yeah. And so you kind of get the freshness of that. With a slight little bit of pumpkin spice, so well which done. is which is the beauty is is the buddy that uh, the actually our second beer is brewed by uh, said almost that exact same thing. He goes, uh, it, "It's almost like you're eating a fresh pumpkin pie, mm-hmm. but not in your face spicy pumpkin pie. The really good freshly baked one." Yeah, no, I mean I, I think was like, so. "Oh, that's cool, thanks." And it's a little bit on the drier side, so you don't have a bunch of residual sweetness, yeah. which is nice. So. Um, your buddy's beer. So he brewed, new brewer, fairly new brewer. Right? Yeah, really new brewer, actually. Jumped into the deep end. Um, this is an extract slash grain beer. Yeah, yeah. he did a, a partial grain uh, recipe that's extract, and he used pumpkin spice uh, in the mixture. Um, and he warned me, he, he goes, when you taste it, it's going to be in-your-face pumpkin spice. And that's exactly what it is. It's wow. in-your-face pumpkin spice. But it, it, to his credit, it, it actually came out really, really good, in my opinion, for an extract beer. Yeah. No, I mean, it's good beer. And, again, I love the fact that a, a guy that's fairly new to homebrewing is like, you know what? I'm going in. I'm, yeah, I'm making it, a pumpkin it, beer. It blew me away. He's like, yeah, I'm doing a pumpkin. You're doing a pumpkin. I'm doing a pumpkin. But there's definitely a lot of spice in that. That's exactly. I was definitely. Like, but it's clean. I mean, that, outside of that, you can actually taste the beer. And it's a fairly clean drinking beer, minus all the spice. Right. And one of the things he brought up um, is he's like, the that my beer, he's like, you could drink that anywhere from the beginning of October through all the holidays. He goes, I, I could drink that. It yeah, doesn't matter. Yeah. He goes, my pumpkin beer that I brewed, being Jack saying this, he goes, mine's like Halloween, boom, done, that's it. Because yeah. it's that in-your-face pumpkin spice, bam. You'd probably get away with it I through Thanksgiving. Like, you could probably get away with it for Thanksgiving. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he but was then like, it falls mine, off. mine's a one-time thing. Yours is a little little different. Well, well done, Jack. Excellent beer. So um, look forward to trying similar batches of different types of beer down the road. Yeah. So. All right. Well, let's um, jump over to your favorite bit, my favorite bit. Kickstarter your heart. All right, kickstart my heart. So this is where we focus on crowdsourcing via Kickstarter. Yeah. All things beer and brewing. So I've got a, a few that I pulled up here. So let's do three different ones, and we'll check in on some of our old favorites, hopefully. Um, the very first one, a brand new one that's up. It basically has 31 days to go. It's 27% funded. Okay. Beer darts. Beer darts. <laughs> This is a designer drinking game. <laughs> okay. And it's outrageously reimagined a live game set for your next adventure next adventure. It's a block party, beach day, tailgate, and more. Yeah. Um essentially, um the beer dart games is defined by its many features, all packed into twelve ounces of high quality impact resistant <laughs> polypropylene. The same plastic used in cutting boards. Okay. And um you basically are using darts. 
um, and trying to tag a beer can or get close to a beer can with your darts. This sounds like lawn darts <laughs> gone crazy. It, it looks lawn darts gone crazy. So, <laughs> But uh, Ryan and Jonathan are the creators here of beer darts, and they um, basically are saying, hey, they uh, want a way, kind of like uh, beer pong and all that other type of stuff, but okay. uh, you throw darts and whoever's the closest to, to the beer, the beer basically wins. So. so is it a full beer? Yeah, no, it's a full can. I mean, they're showing PBR Modelo here. but uh, So if your dart hits it and beer sprays everywhere, that, that could be interesting. You're going to start drinking. So the rules of the game are... A dink is a drink, so if the dart bounces off the can, that's a dink. You okay. drink from the can. Yeah. Plug and chug. You puncture the can, you drink <laughs> oh, down there to is. the hole. <laughs> there it is. And a hole in one, so basically you get it in the top, you sink the hole, the game's over. Nice. So there it is. So they, these guys are, I'm, I'm guessing these are college guys. Or, Gotta be. Or frat guys. Or, or drinkers. 2700 bucks. Uh, they're looking for ten grand. they have got currently 30 backers. Um, All college students. You give them a buck, they're going to send you an email saying thank you. Oh, cool. Yeah. So five bucks, you get a sticker. Huh? Ten bucks, you get a bottle opener. Okay. Uh, Fifteen bucks, you get a starter kit for the darcher. Uh, how, much, how much do you have to contribute to actually get the game? Beer darts the set, 45 bucks. Yeah, all right yeah, then. Yeah, not bad. Sixty bucks, you get the early bird special. Okay. So there's a, bunch, there's a bunch of stuff here. This is uh, This is legit, so... Um, so there you go. Beer darts, kids. If you want to uh, take a look at beer darts. Beer darts. It's there. It's <laughs> on there. So, um, The second one we've got is uh, a fantastic one. It's a little brewery called Bee and Brew. Okay. They are um, looking for 25000 bucks. They've got five days left to go. 14 Ouch. backers. They're at 1100 bucks right now. Yeah, it's not looking good. But all they need is one big guy. Yeah, they just need the one big investor that says, "You know what? That looks like that looks like what I want to be investing in." That's right. So this guy, these guys are looking at um, in Canada opening a honey beer and meadery okay. um, place, and that's what their jam is. So oh, if you're looking to invest okay. in a uh, in a place that does honey beer and mead, called Bee and Brew out of uh, Canada, um, and you've got twenty nine thousand dollars. No. Then this is your place. Invest the 29000 bucks. No. No? Why not? No. no. I, I don't have twenty nine grand to invest in that. <laughs> if I had twenty nine grand to invest in something like that, it'd be my own brewery that I do. That's right. Not yours. All right. So uh, the second or the third one here we've got is kind of a fun little deal. So yeah. uh, we're dog guys. Um, this is called Paws and Pints. So there's 43 days left to go. They're looking for seventy five grand. There currently is 126 bucks by three backers in here, so they got a long ways to go. Yeah. Long runway there. Uh, they are hoping to raise 75000 bucks for startup costs to open Paws and Pint Bottle Shop and Dog Park in Wilmington, North Carolina. Okay. So essentially, this is a bottle shop and tap house that you can bring your pooch, and there's all sorts of very attractive women on here uh, holding dogs. <laughs> and... And so I'm guessing that you can meet all of these attractive women when you go yeah. to Paws and Pints. There you go. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, 126 bucks, 75 grand. Let's see what you get here. Let's run down. 15 bucks, you get a social media shout out. We might do that for the podcast. Might. Yeah. 25 bucks, you get a Paws and Sticker Pint and Glassware. Okay. 
500 bucks, you become a founding member. Whoa. Two-year dog park membership, exclusive packed patch tat, shirts and hoodies and stickers, dog collars, glassware. You get to cut the line for new releases, and Yikes. you get to go to the VIP open night. All for night. 600 bucks. Yeah. That's, hey. not bad. that's not a bad deal. So. so there you go. Paws and pints. So that's Kickstarter. My heart. Well, we got to go back and visit some of these ones that we've seen in the past. Yeah, right? like the game one. Yeah, like the some knowledge of the, one. Yeah, what was that? Beer facts is what yeah, that was. Yeah, beer right? facts. So, what? What do we think that got funded? Um, you know that's a good question. I'd be willing to say that got funded. All right, beer facts is funded, dude. Made their funding. They made their funding. We're sitting at. Uh, 61 backers backed and pledged 5400 bucks to bring this project to life. Nice. Updated on October 31st. So Fantastic. Congratulations to the guys at Beer Facts so on Kickstarter. Again, just to revisit this, it's an educational course and trivia game about everyone's favorite topic. Beer. Beer. Yeah. So congratulations, guys. All right. Well, that's uh, tonight's edition of Kickstart My Heart. Boom. All right. Well, that's a good look around Kickstarter. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of cool to see what uh, what's funded, what's not. Beer facts, new stuff that's out there. Did you buy beer facts? I didn't, but I'm disappointed that I didn't. I know I am too. So maybe uh, maybe we can find a copy since we've been pumping that. I actually maybe. reached out via uh, Instagram or whatever and said, yeah. "Hey, we're pumping you on the show here." So we'd love to. I'd love to get that. a hand my hands on one just for the knowledge involved. I know, I know. So. All right. Well, what's going on beer-wise? So uh, we tasted your pumpkin beer tonight. Um, yeah. And you've been brewing like a fiend, man. Uh, what's going on brew-wise? Uh, well, I actually just brewed today the uh, Breckenridge Christmas Ale clone uh, that I did last year. It's going to be part of the five-pack that I'm putting out this year. Actually, I'm doing six-pack, but... One of the beers will be doubled up, um, but yeah, part of part of the series. Uh, it's it's a great little like uh, winter warmer beer. Uh, I think when I figured it out after all the calculations were done today, it's going to be right around seven point five percent. So a nice little warmer, still drinkable, uh, but other than that, should be fantastic. Um, what else you got, man? So well, you did a chocolate raz? Yeah, well, this is the beauty. So the lineup for the Christmas beers that are going to go out into the uh, the Christmas present packages is I've got a, a blueberry, or no, I, a correction, a blackberry um, IPA that was done in a Kolsch style. So it's, it's brewed like a Kolsch, but ended up being a little heavy on the hop, so more IPA-ish. Um, then I've got a blueberry smoked beer that was done with, uh, naturally smoked malts that were during the fire, uh, when Lion's Head fire went through, uh, in Oregon. And then the third of the series is a, uh, strawberry Kolsch, uh, which I had the other night and turned out absolutely fantastic in my opinion, but I'm the brewer, so of course it did, right? Uh, then it's your the, story, dude. Yeah. Then the fourth in the series was the, um, I did a gluten-reduced beer by using clear firm in it, 
but it, it is a red raspberry oatmeal chocolate stout. Um, and that's number four. And then number five was the one tonight that I finished up. Uh, I still have to pitch the yeast and everything when I go home, but that's the uh, Christmas clone. And then I think I'm going to double up on the red raspberry uh, oatmeal chocolate stout as part of the six-pack. Bonus, man. Well, that's a, a lot of brewing going on, so you've had some busy weekends doing it. Very definitely. It it I feel like what a, a big brewer would feel like. Yeah. But but not on that same scale. I mean, I was brewing every two weeks. Those guys are brewing every day to three days Just or whatever. pumping it out, yeah. Yeah. Well, so we drink drink two more beers here in front of us. So you got a Wayfinder Pumpkin Ale. Yep. Um, and then we got the Anderson Valley uh, Jackalope. Yes. Um, two very different beers very compared different to beer. uh, different amongst themselves, let alone different to what we've been drinking. Very definitely. Um the uh, the jackalope one, which is which is imperial, by the way, and it's closest to yours. I mean, that's what I was noticing as far as the subtleties go. Very very subtle on the pumpkin taste. Very subtle on the spices. Uh, very interesting. Um, definitely higher octane though, without a doubt. Uh, but the other one, I'll, I'll let you weigh in on that. Yeah, Wayfinder's interesting. A lot of um. I get ginger and I get some clove, maybe maybe a little coriander. Um, you talked about that, but I definitely get some uh, some spice in it. But then I get some sweetness in the middle. So right, and uh, it's kind of like this pumpkin on the front, and then this huge sweetness in the mid, and then as it trails off, I'm kind of left with the residual spiciness and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, kind of maybe some ginger on the back end. It's definitely a layered beer, which is yeah. interesting for a pumpkin beer. Yeah, but uh, again, not not like your buddies, right? That's no. like huge pumpkin spice. His is right in your face, but this, this one's is kind of layered. Layered. Yeah, and then the jackalope is very gourdy. There's a lot of like it does taste like squash right on the front side. Yeah, and then you got the chocolate malts and all this stuff layered on top of it. So, interesting. and then then you're definitely tasting the, like the cloves and some of the spices stuff. Yeah, just very very. It's very subtle though. Very subtle on the back end. Yeah. Well, it's, um, again, pumpkin beer time, so we are heading down that. Look, I'm looking at this little pumpkin chocolate bar thing that you brought So uh, to try chocolate and all that stuff, huh? Well, yeah. You know, I figured it'd be interesting to see what it would be like to taste a pumpkin spice chocolate oh. with each of these beers. Yeah, no, that'd be interesting. So yeah. we should crack that open. But uh, what do we, uh, let's see what else we got. So I have not brewed anything. Uh, what? Anything lately? So I pounded a bunch of beers. What? Couldn't be because all the travel you've been doing. I've been in a lot of travel. So, but uh, yeah, I brewed out the Rauk and brewed out the uh, the Hell's Lager Slash Fest beer, and then um, I did something else in there. What else did I do? I did another little small batch in there. And then I've been I've been doing some other debauchery too. So I've got. <laughs> Some other fine things that I've been working on uh, along the way. Ooh, you just cracked that thing. Well, supposedly that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to slam it, and then it's supposed to break it into... Oh, it's like one of those chocolate oranges, yeah, yeah with the exactly. slices. So did it break? I don't think it did. <laughs> well, yeah, it did. Oh, there it is. There, yeah, there, there we go. You broke it, so... Nice chocolate and orange, right? I'm not sure why this is a thing, but it uh, is. Yeah, I don't either. I, I don't know why I thought this was a great idea with pumpkin beers, but... I thought it'd be interesting to see what 
chocolate huh. spice or pumpkin spice chocolate and a beer would taste like. That's what yours basically it takes all the sweetness out of your beer and just leaves gourd. Gourd. Yeah. <laughs> pumpkin. Just the pumpkin. Be interested to see what it is with the Wayfinder. Not interesting. Almost get a little bit of a soury, like, and dry. Hmm. Yeah, it is interesting. It, it dried the Wayfinder out. Yeah. Well, uh, interesting little science experiment there. Well, so we got through uh, about 40 minutes, 30 minutes with Alan there. Um, awesome interview. We're going to do a part two. This is part of our legacy series. Yeah, so there's definitely more to come with the Alan interview. Yeah, so uh, look for part two here in the next week or so. Um, Alan truly educates us on what's going on in the Oregon beer scene, kind of the foundation of a lot of stuff as it relates to the Oregon beer scene in the early days. And then, uh, again, we hope to do future interviews with some of these legacy guys trying to pick up this story. So um, look for Art Lawrence and some of those guys coming up soon. But, um, again, part two of the Alan Sprint's Hair of the Dog interview coming here in another week. Big thanks to Alan for your hospitality. Yes, Um, very definitely. Treated us like kings. Absolutely. And then, uh, Tim, thanks, as always, for the comedy. (laughs) <laughs> it's pure comedy pure always comedy always so um all right buddy well let's get out of here um hopefully record another session next week um i've got an idea of a beer topic that we can do oh yeah we're gonna do this thing called fresh hop ipas oh god <laughs> i've got all these fresh hop ipas i'm pretty sure my body hasn't recovered from <laughs> fresh hop festival but you know yeah but you know i mean it's, it's fresh hop season right like 60 days ago. Yeah, 60 <laughs> days ago it was. So, all right, with that, we'll uh, catch you next week. Again, big thanks, Alan. Tim Beers. Tim Beers. Thanks for listening to the Portland Tim Beers Podcast. Be sure to visit the Portland Tim Beers Podcast on ACAST.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover our fantastic bonus content. If you love the Tim Beers Podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. Until next time, Tim Beers. Tim Beers.